Hey, what's going on, coach? Welcome back to another episode of the Coach's Corner Podcast, the number one podcast helping coaches get more clients, make more money, book themselves solid, and in the process, build a predictable, passionate, and profitable online coaching business. Now, I am oozing with enthusiasm today because the guest I have on today is going to blow your mind and help you 10x your business in every way possible, not only from his super inspirational, motivational story of being born in one of the poorest areas in India and later on in life, 10xing his real estate company and selling it for $3.4 billion. And for a guy who can throw around the billion dollar word, one of the humblest, most generous, most giving guests we've had on the show to date. So I'm really, really excited for you to tap into this podcast and I highly recommend taking notes because every five minutes, this guy drops a value bomb and a nugget of wisdom that you, if you apply into your coaching business, I have no doubt that you'll see a massive amount of success. Now, right before we get into it, this podcast is free. I do not want anything in return except two things. One, you take it, you apply it, and you move your coaching business forward so we can change the world one client at a time. And two, if you do find value in this podcast, leave us a review. Let us know what you think and share it with a few coaching friends of yours so they can move their coaching business forward. With that being said, enjoy the episode and let's move your online coaching business forward. What is going on? Welcome to the Coach's Corner, a podcast dedicated to helping coaches get more clients, make more money, and book themselves solid. I'm your host, Lucas Rubik's, the Coach's Coach, and I am 100% committed to helping you build the coaching business of your dream. Welcome to the Coach's Corner. Hey, what's going on? It's Lucas from LucasRubix.com and the Coach's Corner, helping coaches get more clients, make more money, and book themselves solid. And I am literally, Sharan, I didn't sleep last night. I was so excited for this podcast, and I genuinely mean that. I've been watching podcasts and episodes and reading anything I could online for the last two, three days to get prepared, and I still feel like I'm not prepared, but I got, I got most of it here. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. Guys, we got, and I hope I don't butcher this name. I've had anxiety over this. Sharan Sravatsa. Do I got that right? Yep. Very close, man. Good. Sharan Sravatsa. I, 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 I've got about eight pages of notes with all your accomplishments, but I'm going to give the nitty gritty, the 10 second one of from super humble beginnings to Wall Street to building a, if I got this number right, and selling a $3.2 billion real estate company. Yep. Yes. That's about right. Now you're the yep. CEO of Kingston Lane, a push button technology execution platform for real estate agents. You're a serial entrepreneur, sought after keynote speaker, respected thought leader, resource for publications such as Wall Street Journal, Success Magazine, Huffington Post, and Forbes. And I know you're a coach listening to this right now. Don't get overwhelmed by that because everything we talk about in this podcast, whether we're talking real estate or, or working on Wall Street, is so fundamental to, to, I think, anyone's success building a business. So I'm really excited to have you here. Now, the one thing that I think stands out the most, and I've been watching these interviews, and for someone who can throw around the billion-dollar word and like talk about, you know, I, I see some posts about jets, but I'm sure that's just time-saving for you. Like you're trying to save time and get somewhere quicker. But all this stuff, you're probably one of the most humble and just I'm going to use the word humble individuals that I've had on here today. Awesome. Hey, thank you. No, I, if people don't realize how, how much time and effort it takes to um, find the people that resonate with your show, build a show and actually put it on, uh, do the research and you're doing it all to give back and help your community. So first, thank you for doing that. I think no one realizes how hard this is to do. Appreciate that. How much time it takes. So thank you for that. And, you know, I, I, I learned 
I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a lot growing up. I had, I mean, I'll tell you this. I had, I have amazing parents and they gave me a, gave me a great life, uh, gave me a great foundation, but you know, Lucas early on, I was just, I, I, I had this thing that I just have to make it on my own. I have to drive. I have to be aggressive. I have to be commercial. And it was almost at, at any cost type attitude. And even 10 years ago, the, the, my friends who know, who met me 10 years ago, wouldn't recognize me today. Uh, I, and because I just believe that I've gotten both physically uh, burned, <laughs> mentally burned, emotionally burned, relationship-wise burned over the last 10 years. When I say burned, I mean burned and burned out over the last many years that I realized that um, without being hokey, the, the, kind, the kindness is the way. And people will say nice guys finish last or whatever, or nice guys finish first or whatever the saying is, but I don't care who, the way they finish. I just feel good when I show up and can give and contribute and be, and you can feel a sense of kindness. That's a real, that's a powerful bond for me. And hopefully that comes across in, in written text. It comes across in voice. It comes across in a smile. Um, and we don't get enough of that these days. So it's just my opportunity to be a little beacon for that. Awesome. We'll be circling back to it. I see it as when I was thinking about that this morning, because I'm going to I'm going to challenge you on one thing um, in a few minutes here when we circle yeah. back to this. But I was just thinking about, you know, how you see the, uh, you know, when you're a skilled, I've, I used to take martial arts when you're like a double black belt and you have the skills, you have nothing to prove anymore. And you, you know, you will humbly walk away from a fight. But oftentimes right. when that guy tells his story, he started off as a fighter and aggressive. And then he learned that. Or when you talk to someone who's actually successful, not Instagram successful, but actually successful. <laughs> okay. Driving a Prius. They don't need that for anymore, but there's probably a point in their life where that drove them. So when you have that confidence or bodybuilders, some of the biggest yeah. rock is one of the kindest individuals. Cause he knows yeah. he could probably smush you Crush into anybody. Yeah. One second. So he doesn't have to anymore. I'm sure in his youth, he was a little bit different. So I think that's a natural transformation for anyone who's seeking it success in anything. So we'll circle back to it because I want to challenge you on one thought that I had and a lot of podcast guests talk about it. Um, And it looks like you're giving back a lot lately. So I want to talk about your story right before we get into the story. Just shine some light on that million dollar playbook where I believe you interviewed 70, you know, ultra high achievers and you found their daily strategies. And that's what I really want to, I'll be tapping into that during this because everyone listening is is starting their business, if not, has already built some momentum. But I think yeah. daily habits, I'm a huge believer in it. And when you can adapt them into your life and you've gone through it, you've, you've interviewed these guys, uh, you're basically guaranteed to see success, in my opinion, anyway. So talk about that a little bit and then we'll get into your story. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, um, the, the, there is this, it's not hokey when we say success leaves clues, right? And to me, success leaves clues is not the answer because a lot of times we... We say, hey, here's Lucas. He's done this. Let me follow what he's doing and let me model. That's okay. I get that. But modeling one um, is, is a very – modeling one person is very difficult because we all – a lot of times people talk about, hey, I love what Tony Robbins is doing. Let me go model Tony Robbins because today I can go read a bunch of Tony books, look at his blog, look at, his, look at the stuff that he's put out, his artifacts – and I can build a avatar, a persona, and I can start to be like Tony. And, and instantly, that's good because instantly you'll start to see the success because you start to have better you know, mechanics in your life, right? But I realized, Lucas, that maybe there's a better way because for, I would look at someone successful and say, okay, I'm not a model match for them. I am good. I, I see what they're doing. I'm excited about their success. But is there a better way? So my thought was, so over you know, a multi-month period, every time I would talk to somebody, I would ask them, you know, I wrote this down the same set of questions. And all I wanted to do was to figure out 
if there were commonalities among all of them, was there a pattern of sorts, right? And uh, it all came down to just one thing, and it was all there. It was the, it was mindset and habits. It was mindset and habits for everything. And as soon as you found a thread, like uh, one of those was like the mindset of abundance, right? And so I saw the difference between a person that would say, hey, I want to I wanna be number one. I, I don't want to be number two anymore. Like the, as soon as someone went to the number one and number two, it's very interesting because they're keeping score. And keeping score is a good thing in the early stages of success. But keeping score is a direct correlation into having a scarcity mindset. Because mm. essentially what you're saying is I am number one. There's a fixed buy. Someone has to be after me. So I'm, I have to, I have to continuously fight to be number one. It's a good goal, but I, all the other people were not like, you know, they didn't want to, the, the, the mindset of abundance that I got was it's okay to keep score, but only with yourself. Perfect. That was the Love biggest that. thing for me, not keeping score with the marketplace, but keeping score with yourself. And so, Hey, I have, uh, 17%, you know, body fat. I need to, I don't need okay. to be, I don't need to be you know, Ar- uh, Arnold, but I need to go from 17 to 11 in 12 months. That's awesome. Right. Like that's good because now I've al- already leveled up and that shows Great. me a personal mindset of abundance. So my, my, I love these human experiments, Lucas. Like I love talking to people where I say, huh, that pattern is super interesting. There is a humility pattern there. There's an abundance pattern there. There's a gratitude pattern there. There's a, there's a routine pattern there. And a lot of times um, the CEOs that I mentor will ask me, hey, I go, uh, I'm getting to hang out with Gary Vee tomorrow or I'm getting to hang out with Grant Cardone tomorrow. What should I ask? And I go, that's not the, that's the problem, right? You don't even know what to ask. And, and I say, don't ask anything because everything that they've talked about, they've talked about on the show. What you should ask is go deep into, hey, when you wake up in the morning, like exactly walk me through what you do. Like I am trying to deconstruct and just say, there's a reason why Lucas wakes up, puts his right foot down, and he grabs a bottle of water and he drinks it. Like, why? You went through a bunch of things to get to that ritual. I want to know why, because if I can install that in my life, it's really powerful. And I don't have to go through the eight months that you went through to learn that, right? So when I, like, when I talk to uh, my mentors, et cetera, like, I, sure, I'm talking about uh, growth, but I'm asking them very tactical stuff, right? Very, as in, what do you do before you go to bed? But when you're getting ready for a big meeting, what is what do you do right before you get to the meeting? Do you show up 15 minutes early? Or do you show up 30 minutes early? Does, is there a sign of high status? Is there a sign of like, effectiveness? And people don't think about that stuff. That's what makes, it's the small stuff that makes you brilliant, the small stuff that gives you the edge. I just want the edge. You know, we're, we're all going to get opportunities. I just want the edge. And so my kind of what I call the hexagon of success is finding the, 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 the rituals and the routines that are small, that the, 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 the ultra successful do naturally, but they have learned over time. How can I steal that and install that in my life? And that's kind of this really highly motivating thing for me. Love it. I think I read an article in a video on it. That's where it came from, that hexagon. So there's six key uh, things that you learned from, a, from that's in the 70 High Achievers interview for the Millionaire Playbook, correct? Do I right. kind of get that right? Yeah, awesome. exactly. I'll link that article. Is it an article or just a video? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a video. It's, a, it's like a four-minute video. Great. Yeah. I'll link that so we're not spending too much time on it. But just throughout your story, I'm sure I'll be picking apart some things yeah. that helped yeah. you get to where you're at. And I'm sure you got these crazy dreams and ambitions to help you get to where you want to go to. So let's talk about your story, kind of humble beginnings, just so everyone knows that you're an actual human being. I get a lot of the times, and I get this, and I'm not like ultra successful at all by any means. But I've had people be like, well, it must be nice to like, you know, 
to, to be, they, they don't know that I lived in a truck at one point in my life and had to figure that like I was picking between a hotel and canned food. I didn't know which one to afford. Like they don't, yeah. they don't get it. So sometimes we look at people who are flying in jets and talking in the multimillions being like, well, obviously they had help. So let's talk about your humble beginnings. There's a bit of a story. We talked about it that I was like, wow, I did not know that about you with the tennis. And then we'll kind of deconstruct it and move on. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a, uh, the, the story is um, for you and, and, the person that is listening right now, uh, close your eyes and take this if you're not driving, which is if I can do it, you can do it too. Like if I can do it and I'll look, let me walk you through these, right? I was, um, I was born to very mediocre circumstances in a very mediocre time in a very mediocre place. I was born in India, but I had, I had one advantage and I have, I have amazing parents amazing parents. Uh, and I don't mean that from a wealth perspective. I mean that from a care, compassion, they were just great. They are great human beings. And they and I was the only child. They realized that they didn't have more resources for more than one child. So they didn't have more children because they didn't even know they could give me what I wanted. And I, my, my memories go back to living in the middle of a city in India called Madras, uh, in a one bedroom apartment where I shared the bed with my parents till I was maybe 11, 12 years old. So I, it was my parents and I, and we slept in the same bed for, you know, for 11 years of my life. I don't know any different. I never had a room. I didn't even have a closet. I had a, I had a shelf inside a closet. Right. And, and, and I had to, I had to, and the interesting part about that is I'm not saying, look at me. I'm just saying if, since I had only had a shelf inside a closet, I only had that many belongings. Like that's what we need to understand, right? And so um, I was a I was colorblind, so I was not a really good artist. I was tone deaf, so I didn't really have any talents. Um, I was okay academically. I was like a B plus A minus student, but in India, with tens of hundreds of thousands of people, you if you're not the best of the best, you're not even going to college. That's how it's kind of set up. And so um, I was athletically decent, but not great. And so, uh, but my dad, for some reason, saw this fire in me. And he says, wow, every day my son comes back home and he's disappointed, he's depressed, he's irritated. He, my dad had never been outside the country. And he realized that he's like, you know what? Structurally, this place may not be the place for him. At least let me change his environment. And that way, maybe he'll do better in a different environment. That was my dad's vision of this world, right? And so one day we were sitting in front of a park bench. I was probably 10, 11 years old. I can't remember exactly. And my dad said to me, he had this conversation. And he goes, hey, um, I don't think it's going to work out for you here. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like 10 years old, right? And he says, we need to get you a skill, a capability. We need to get you something to give you the option of leaving India if and when it doesn't, if, it, if the structure and the system doesn't work for you. And I said, well, what does that mean? He goes, you don't have to do anything right now. Just get the capability so that if, you, if, the, if that option comes about, we can do that. And I was like, right. well, what is that capability? So he looks in front of me and there were these two tennis courts. He's like, I don't know. Could you play tennis? I go like, I, I, I don't know, maybe. And he goes, listen, if you can become an individual decent tennis player, that can be your ticket out of the country. And you may at least be able to go to college in Australia or the UK or Canada or wherever. And I said, okay, well, what does that mean? He goes, listen, everything else is secondary right now. We just mm-hmm. need you to work on your, we, the, all you need to do is focus on tennis. We just, you wake up, you breathe. This is what we're doing. You don't need to go pro. You just need to get out. All so in, you can go live a great life somewhere else. And that's a lot of foresight for a father to instill and, and offer to his son. But uh, lesson number one for me 
and I talk about this throughout kind of that's when it's this started singularity of focus. Yeah. The singularity of focus, very few people have the singularity of focus. Right. And so my dad said to me, all I care about, all you should care about is your ticket out of this country. There is nothing else that is important right now. And it is not the singularity of focus for me. We rolled the entire family's focus into it. So it was my father, my mother, and I. So my, my dad would wake up and be like, dude, it's 530. I need you to get up and work out wow. because this is what you need. So I had the family supporting that singularity of focus with pure belief, Lucas, that this was going to happen. Like there was no guarantee for this, right? Nothing. And that's when I learned there's a really amazing Robin Sharma quote. Robin, uh, Robin's a great, you know, great Canadian philosopher. He says to me, I learned this, 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 this year, but I reflect back and I think about this. He says, every distraction is costing you a fortune. Like it's one of my favorite quotes. Every distraction is costing you a fortune. So I tell my wife this, I tell my team this, I tell my mentors this, I, I tell Jason Capital this, and Jason Capital will tell me things like, why do you want to do that? I'm like, well, because and he's like, stop. Every distraction is costing you a fortune, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It's really so that singularity of focus was pretty amazing. I'll, I'll, I'll fast forward really quickly. I'll do the one minute story. Um, I got decent enough at tennis where I was able to uh, come to the states to play to play tennis at a small school in Iowa. And uh, this is a story that you'll appreciate and your, and your audience will appreciate, right? So my parents were not, there were conversion rates and college tuition and et cetera. My parents sold everything that they had, everything. And they hand me a check for one year worth of all college tuition, all room and board, and like essentially one year of living in the U.S. And, and, and they didn't have any, like my dad was at zero. He had to rework, like he had nothing. He had to rebuild his life and he handed me one check. And he says, here you go. This is one check. I know you will do great. If it doesn't work out, come back. We'll figure it out. Right. He gave me the safety net, but here's one check. And I was like, this is amazing. So I flew to the States from India. I was, you know, 16 and a half, 17 years old. I walked to campus on day one in college. I go to financial services or wherever they take the checks. I go and I hand them my check and I'm like, Hey, here, I'm, I'm here to study for four years. I only have one year's worth of tuition. I'm sure I'll figure it out. Here's my check. And she's like, as kind as can be, right? She says, great, Sharon. This is awesome. Uh, here are your keys to your dorm room. And since it's international, your check will take 10 to 14 days to clear. So everything should be good. I say, okay. And I'm, I walk away and I go, wait, 10 to 14 days. I don't have any money. I don't have a, I don't have any meal plan. I have, I have nothing. I probably have like five, 10 bucks in my wallet, but that's all I had. I was like, what am I going to do for 14 days? So I was like, I'll figure it out tomorrow. Maybe I'll go to some pizza parties or whatever. Right. (laughs) So that, so I got my, I bought my first big jar of peanut butter with the $5 that I had. And that was my, my first purchase. And then the next day I went to a pizza party and that was fine. And the third day I'm hungry. Like I haven't eaten any food. And so I'm in, I, I walk around and I see um, these, these docks where people are loading and unloading stuff. And I'm just, I'm trying to ask people if they would hire me for the day. At that time, I see a couple of guys throw uh, a box of pizza into a dumpster. And I was like, okay, uh, it, whatever. And then I was thinking I got really hungry and nobody was there. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wait till nightfall. It's dark. Uh, if nobody comes and I'm still hungry, then I'll think about grabbing a slice from what's in that box, but I should be fine. Like I was talking to myself about it. nightfall came out starving. I hadn't eaten for 18 hours. Uh, so I, I pulled the courage together. I jumped in this dumpster. It was hot. You know, it's dark. Um, I, I see this box of pizza. I grab it. 
I jump out of the dumpster. I see these two, three slices in there. I put my hoodie on and I just like walk to my dorm room mm. and I go, okay, I really hope nobody saw me and cool. I got some food. I'm very grateful, very thankful. Another day goes by. I, you know, I drink water. I'm like, I, I, I need more food the next couple of days. I go back to the same dock and I see a couple of guys throw two big Subway sandwiches into the dumpster. And I go, okay, this, I'll just wait to see how I feel. Nightfall comes around. I jump in the dumpster. I grab these two Subway sandwiches and I see a big box of Pop-Tarts. And I reach for the Pop-Tarts and just then these two glowing eyes light up in the dumpster. They're dark. And I get whacked in my face. Like my face starts, something scratched me and whacked me and my face starts bleeding and I can, I can feel the heat there was a raccoon inside the dumpster fighting me for these Pop-Tarts. And you're in a 10 by four, hot, smelly. I have, to, I have my hands are full with food that I need. I'm grabbing this Pop-Tart. There's this live animal fighting me for, you know, like this processed sugar. I, fight or flight kicks in, right? So I kick this raccoon, I jump out of the dumpster and I, I'm bleeding and I just run. I was like, I need to run to like health services or something because I need probably a tetanus shot. I don't know what this is. I don't want to get rabies. So I run, I get, I get to the health services. The nurse knows exactly what's happening, right? She's smelling dumpster on me. And she hands me uh, $20 and a blockbuster card. And she goes, go watch a movie, clean yourself up, buy yourself some dinner. And uh, so she gives me that. That's when I realized wow. she didn't need to do that. And this was rock bottom. And I didn't have the courage to even tell my parents this until this year. My parents hadn't known about this for 18 years because I was too embarrassed. And, and my biggest lesson there is when stuff goes wrong, when stuff goes difficult now, uh, we all have an, we all have a sense of just uh, comparing it to the low point in our lives, and we say, "Hey, if this is if this is getting dramatically close to the lowest point I've had, we start to get nervous." But if that low point is so low, very few things can bother you. And so I, I, I'm not saying, "Hey, look at me, I'm awesome." I'm just saying I got very lucky early on that the the rock bottom was so low that any kind of pain that happens right now, and I have to say. Well, between the raccoon and the pop tart and like somebody, you know, sending me a nasty email, yeah. I, I think I'm okay. Like I don't have to stress out about this and it gives you insane perspective. And I'm just really grateful for that perspective because a lot of times I could have flown off the handle, lost my cool, uh, not believed in more, like not taken the risk. And that's what changed it all for me. And I, I, I look back and I'm grateful for that time because I know now that even if things got that rocky and that's all I needed to do, I'd still be okay. Right. And I'd still be, be okay. And so that's, that, it, uh, that was the kind of the, the, the foundational moment, which completely changed how I thought about opportunities. And gave you confidence that probably you can't get, you can't take that away from somebody that confidence. It's a, it's a, every guest I've had on the show. That's been, I, I think success is defined by whatever you want, but let's just say successful in society's eyes of like these great achievers they all have a story similar to something like that. And it always inspires me because it's just like, you know, if, if you're able to do that and get to where you are now, it's like, I got no thing. And I would love to be a fly on the wall and listen to when, I don't know that moment, maybe you remember it when you actually were able to give back to your parents. I don't know what you probably did something massive for them, whether house or fly them somewhere, whatever, but I would love to be 
fly on the wall to see their reaction to like, this is what yeah. my son has created for us. That must be just, you know, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's amazing. You know, you'll appreciate this. Um, the way you say that I have never talked about this before my, um, this may be fast forwarding, but recently my dad came to visit like last year after we sold our company and, uh, we had, you know, 22 offices, et cetera. And my son is seven years old. So my, my son and my dad and I, on a weekend, I had, had to run to the office to grab something like a book or something like that. And my dad has no idea. Like he's like, I don't, I don't tell him about it. Only what he sees on the internet. Does my dad know? He doesn't know anything else. Like I, I don't, when I call him, I don't say, Hey dad, look at what we did. He has no idea. So he shows up to this office and my dad's looking around. Right. And he's, he has no sense of any of this. Mm-hmm. And he's looking around. He's like, Oh, Hey, Shrug, this is pretty good. And my son who's seven goes, Oh, you should see the other 22 right? The other 22 offices. And my dad, that's when I think it hit my dad. I kid you not, Lucas, he plopped down on the couch in my office and he started to cry. Mm -hmm. And I sat down with him. My son sat down with him and he just like, he like tears rolled down his eyes. It was really powerful. Like he didn't realize the magnitude of the gift that he had given for his son to do all of that. Not that, not anything else. He, I think that's the moment where it hit him that his investment was the transformation that we had an opportunity to create so much. And I, I, I didn't force the transformation. Right? I just saw it happen. Uh, and uh, nobody knows it but me, my son, my dad. That just happened. So since you brought it up, I thought I'd share that. That's so amazing. So you are the underdog, which I think is so, I just see that pattern in everybody. Like the further you push down, the faster you bounce back. And people who are living in a comfort, if you're listening to this and it's just comfortable, like I would just... I talked to a lot of people about this. I'm obsessed with the topic of how can they, like, you have to go through massive amounts of pain like I did or like you did, or a lot of people do to turn things around and say, wait, I'm going to make something. Cause if that didn't happen to me, like rock bottom, I wouldn't have been as driven and as passionate to what I do. I would have just been living my mediocre life. Um, do you think that's like, and I ask everyone this and everyone has a different answer, but do you think that's almost like you need to hit this moment where you're just like, wow, enough is enough. Or can you be, you know, average and, I just don't see that happen often. What would you give advice to someone who's like, well, I don't know. I have an okay life and I got an okay job. Things are going okay, but they're just not satisfied. They want to do more, but they haven't hit this rock bottom. It's a common theme. You know, it's, it's re- uh, so, so great question. Um, I, I always uh, reckon it to the, uh, the rubber band analogy. Right. And so the, the more you pull on one end, the more it's going to come out on the other. And I, I, I mean that from a, um, uh, how do you stretch yourself perspective? Because the, the reason is not, is it, for someone that's comfortable, it's not about capability. It is only about perspective. It is not about capability at all. I would tell you most of the folks that are making $100,000 doing nine to five have the capability to 10x their, 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 their top line, their income in 12 months. They just don't know that it's possible. That's the problem, right? And so um, I, uh, I, I, was, I, I'm, I was speaking at an event the other day and um, a, a kid comes up to me. He's a, he's a software engineer. He's making $100,000 a year. He's put money away, right? So for the last 10 years, he's put 10 grand away every year, like in 100% savings. And I was like, that's pretty good. 10 grand away a year. You have $100,000 in savings and you still have a $100,000 a year job. Good. And he tells me, he's like, hey, how can I 10x that? How can I, exp- you know, kind of explore? I, here's what I told him. I was like, hey, here's something easy. Do you believe that in a year you can get the same job that you have right now? He said, yes. I go, okay, quit. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you have $100,000, which you know that 
can last you for the year because that's what you make. Awesome. You also know that if everything goes wrong in a year, you can get back your job. Imagine this. Imagine waking up tomorrow morning and having no responsibility. And all you can do is create your new life. Yeah. We are a slave. We, we have accepted that the way to live our lives is to be a slave to the monthly. And that's okay. The monthly, that, cause that's good. And, and I think the problem is not the income. The problem is our, the rest of our lives are structured around monthlies, right? We have monthly credit card bills, monthly rent, monthly, what they do. Since the rest of our lives are in monthlies, we feel like our income needs to be in monthlies. That is the biggest disconnect. Right. If we just solve that, just that we instantly win. And that pain, it, it needs to only be for a little amount of time. Cause if you can just say, Oh my gosh, um, the greatest advice I can give anybody listening right now to break the cycle and create insane amount of wealth is do whatever it takes to put aside one year's worth of nest egg, one year, just one year, because then one day you quit, you walk out and you say, I have a year to transform my life and I don't need to depend on anybody. That's a really, really powerful feeling. And the first year I was able to do that was the year everything changed, everything changed because then I was like, Hey, I am not dependent on the WT. I'm not dependent on the paycheck. I'm not dependent on the income. I am dependent on what I can create today. And I, sure, it's easier said than done. But the goal for a lot of people is instead of, instead of wanting the Porsche or the BMW or whatever, want one year's worth of nest egg in your bank because that's a way bigger gift that you can give yourself than anything else. Like, I'll tell you this. I don't like, I, I, told, I just told you before the show, I don't drive a fancy car. Like I drive a Ford Fusion. Like I'm totally good with it because it gets me in the carpool lane in California. But I don't need, it's the greatest thing, Lucas, is my gift yeah. when I wake up in the morning. And if I don't have to do anything that day, that's a way bigger gift yeah. than anything else that I could ask for in my life. I love that. I love that. So you're in college, you're extremely driven because you're the underdog and you're working your way through it. You're probably like outperforming everyone else or doing your best every single day because you appreciate where you came from. What was the move into Wall Street? We don't have to spend too much time on it, but you shifted into Wall Street and then you shifted into the Telus properties. So how was that shift and how does that kind of, would you learn through that period of, of, of Yeah, life? totally. So um, after, so I graduated with a degree in computer science and math, it was the boom, technology boom. Um, and so I was like, hey, you know, let me try to capitalize on this and learn from this. So I, I came back, came out to California and I was uh, an early engineer in a, in a technology company. And that company, you know, kind of got built and sold, which was good for everybody, including me. And I was able to take five years off. And I, if you can tell, there's a theme in my life where I just, I like freedom. When I say freedom, I just don't want, you know, I, I don't want to depend on the, on, on the monthly. Right. Great. So I took five years off. I was, I, I, I found a great job where I could teach tennis at different resorts around the world. So I was at the, I was in the Caribbean. Uh, I was in Dubai and I was on Maui for five years uh, because we had made a little bit of a, a nest egg from, from the sale of the business. And I will tell you that is the time in my life where I learned the most, meaning I learned two skills. Skill number one, when you go to a Four Seasons or a Ritz-Carlton, you have to go through their training programs. The greatest gift. Like if, if I tell my team right now, if, you, uh, if, I, if we get an application uh, for a job that we're hiring for and they have worked in hospitality in any way, they automatically get an interview. Automatically. I don't care who they are, whether they are. Automatically. Because... You can, it is very hard to teach empathy, very, very hard to teach empathy. And these training programs at Four Seasons, Ritz Carlton, all these big resorts, they teach you how to think like the, like the, like the hotel guest. 
Um, the hotel guest comes to a hotel. They, they're there for five days. They pay $800 or $1,000 a night. When they leave, they don't get to take like, a table or a car or something home, right? It's just their experience. So you have to work doubly hard to make sure that every component of that experience is managed well. And that goes from how you greet them to the words you use to how you show them around. To, like Every mm. interaction is very, very cumulative in their experience, right? So the first thing I learned was, wow, it, 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 they don't just teach you empathy. Like they install empathy in you, right? And otherwise you'll just never win. And so that's, num- I learned that scale, which I would have never learned otherwise being the hardcore kind of the aggressive guy that I was. Right. And the second is uh, I'd never taught before. I'd never taught anything before. And so I, I was teaching tennis and here's the interesting, well, let me give you this example. You'll love this. Imagine a person coming to a, to a four seasons they're probably pretty successful because they can take a six day vacation at a thousand dollars a night plus everything else. And they want exercise. or they want a tennis lesson. They come to the tennis course. They pay you $150 an hour for a lesson, which means they're extremely successful. They're probably good at tennis. They probably have a pro at home. They probably play, play, play a lot and they're just there to get some exercise. And I have a six minute window, six minutes before they tune me out. So I have to look at your stroke, play, your playing, your game, your skills, what you're doing on the other side of the net, you know, 72 feet away. And I have to give you some advice and create a transformation in six minutes. If I can't do that in six minutes, you're going to tune me out and, you're, and, and I'm done. Right. So I've not added any value. So I had to learn how to be a great coach, a great teacher, a great pro, like instantly. And I had a mentor who was teaching me how to teach tennis and he called it something amazing. And every coach should listen to this. It's called the analytical eye. He said, you have to develop your analytical eye. And that means that when I, Sharon, look at you, Lucas, I know right away, you can't see what you do, but I can see what you do, right? I know that you can say, hey, I'm not, like, I'll give it, I'll give, we'll do it live, right? Hey, I'm not successful by any means. You've done that three times. That's totally cool. But that's, that's, that's your way of showing the humility when you don't need to. People right. love you for who you are. You can just say, hey, I'm grateful for all the success I've had. Now, if I rewire that language pattern in you, you instantly, your energy will change, right? And that's my analytical eye, which I can fix that way. That will completely change your energy patterns. Um, And and we haven't talked about that. This is live, right? This is totally live and we haven't talked about that. Um, And for a coach, that's super important, right? You have a chance to like, every time you you have your client say something and there's a pattern to what they're saying, there's a story. And if you don't want them to, to stay in line with the story, just interrupt it and you can change it because, and change it live. And you can say, hey, Lucas, I have, I have a recommendation. Uh, looks like, you know, this and this is happening. You don't want to showcase your success, but how about we present it in such a way that it honors it? You can say, hey, I'm really grateful for over the years. A lot of people have contributed to my success, and it's my chance to give back to the world. That's good. That's right. really good. And now let's use that as your language pattern because now that changes the energy that you bring to the table, right? So now my analytical eye gets very sharp. And in one coaching call, in one coaching video, in one coaching email – you can instantly create amazing transformation. So if you're a coach, really start to build your analytical eye. And that's why I love watching Tony Robbins videos, et cetera. I'm just watching like, what did he do? What did he do to that audience? Oh, she said she was going to commit suicide. He didn't fix her. He just de-escalated her. That's all he did. Then he got her into rapport and then he can change, reframe, do whatever he wanted. We were all thinking, well, what's the objection handler? What's the script? He didn't have any script. He just de-escalated her. That's all he did. And so when you get that and now I'm your client, you and I are talking and I'm really struggling, your job is not to coach me. Your job is to de-escalate me 
and now I'm open and now you can pound all the coaching you want. Right. So small things like that. If you can do that, imagine doing that on a free first free coaching call. Yeah. Like, Hey, I'm selling a $12,000 package. Why don't you come on for 15 minutes? I'll show you what I can create in 15 minutes. They start to struggle. They start to open up. You bang and you create the transformation in 15 minutes. And you can say, hey, if that is the introduction of how we work, imagine the transformation we can have in 12 months together. Like you're done. Yeah. Yeah. Very powerful. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so I did that. I did tennis for five years. And then uh, I realized that once you do tennis, like I was like, what am I going to do next? Like it's very hard to go and get a job or create a company after. So I decided that I would go to business school. So I went to business school at Vanderbilt. I got my MBA. Um, then I went to work at Goldman Sachs uh, in New York as an investment banker. I spent five years in investment banking, Goldman Sachs and Credit Suisse. And um, I was in the boiler room. Like we were selling the Goldman Sachs brand to entrepreneurs. So I was, uh, it was a glorified banking sales job where I could call CEOs of companies and offer them a billion dollar bank services. Um, and it's kind of intimidating. Imagine me calling the right. CEO of Apple. Sure. And so uh, the greatest lesson there, and you'll appreciate this. I show up on day one to a six-month training program. Like I can't even call a client for six months. Six-month training program. Uh, it took me 39 one-on-one -on -one interviews to get the job. 39 individual one-on-one wow. -on -one interviews to get the job. And six-month training program, I show up. Day one, they hand me a no-limit Amex card for expenses. I was like, this is amazing. They hand me a BlackBerry. I'm like, okay, I understand. And they hand me a headset. I'm like, what is this headset for? I'm not making any calls. So the managing partner tells me, Sharon, every time you walk into to your training room in the morning, put the headset on, don't plug it into anything. I want that to become an extension of your body and that should trigger the success dialogues, that should trigger the scripts, that should trigger everything in you. And I was like, what, wow. what is that? That's insane. What does that mean, right? So every day I would do that. And it, it's amazing because I put my headset on. I am a whole different person. Right. I am. I, I like my train. It's like you default to your training after that. Right? Everything that they teach you is tied to this little piece of the headset that you have. So when I'm at home and I'm making these sales calls, my wife knows that I'm putting my headset on. She's like, hey, there's not one, uh, not one, um, like you're on point. Your tonality is great. I take my headset off. I come out and I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Wow. I, and she goes, you're yeah, terrible, right. but, so but it's amazing. Wire. Yeah. It's amazing when you do that. That was amazing learning ground for me. Uh, just learning, not just sales, but like the mechanics. Um, and then my partners and I, we'd invested in this small company called Telus Properties. It was a, uh, we were passive investors. Uh, it was a small real estate business in Beverly Hills, California. Uh, it was started by a few of our friends. They had, it was embryonic couple of agents. They grew to about 35 agents in the Beverly Hills marketplace. The founders then were going, uh, they had different views of the world. They were starting to go in different directions. So the part, one of the partners called us and said, Hey, can you help mediate these founders to keep them, keep the company on track since you're investors? So we did, and it, it wasn't going anywhere. So I said, Hey, why don't I leave the East coast, come out for a little bit, see if I can help out. So I learned when I came out to help out that the founding team was kind of fracturing when they're going separate ways. So I said, all right, well, let me see if I can pull this company together, package it up so that I can go at least find a CEO to run this full time and I can go back to my investment banking job. Well, I couldn't find a CEO because it, there was not the right fit. So I said, wow, there may be an opportunity here. Uh, do I want to take this on? So me and my partner, we thought about it and we said, hey, we have about 35, 40 agents. We're doing roughly top line of uh, $300 million in sales. So we're already doing okay but it was not enough for all the money to go around. So I said, 
wouldn't it be amazing if we could do $3.5 billion in sales? And my partner was like, what are you talking about, dude? Like that's 10 X. And I was like, yeah, but if we did that, all of us get a really great kind of financial windfall. And he goes, well, if we have to do that, like you have, you have to run this, you have to build a team around this. I said, yeah, but we all have to commit to this, you know, 10 X. And he says, well, how long will it take? I'm like, it's not about how long will it take? It's about how long do we have? Meaning, and everyone asked me, how did you come up with that? It's very simple. I, only two things. Number one, if we hit 3.5 billion in sales, we all make a ton of money. This is really good for everybody. Real estate cycles in our world go in seven year cycles, generally speaking. I was like, well, if it's seven year cycles, I need two years to either sell the business, transition it, et cetera. So now I have five years. So I have a five year window or I have to wait for 14 years, which is two cycles. I'm like, I'm not waiting 14 years. So I need to do 10 X in five years. So everyone was like, how can you do 10 X in five years? I'm like, this is the only way. Right, so what? right, right. And so everyone, so when someone I talk to the people about the tell a story of growing 10x in five years, everybody says like, well, how did you come up with that? It was pure necessity, right? That's all it was. Right. And singularity of focus. Exactly. Exactly. And that was the filter for everything. So we built the, so when we would get an opportunity, we would say, hey, does this accelerate us getting to the 10x in five years or does it not? If it detracted us, we just didn't do it. And just that focus looks like, I was like just that focus of saying we need to hit that number. We had the entire organization. We were very uh, upfront about it. We said, we want to get to this number. This is the goal. And people would always say, hey, you guys should talk to this person or that person. They want to grow. They want to do this. It allowed the entire ecosystem's energy to drive towards one goal. And it was not just one person driving towards one goal. And that got very exciting. So big lesson there is like, you know, socialize your goals, right? So if you're a coach and you're, you holding somebody accountable is good, but if they have an ecosystem that supports them, it's just better. So uh, I always tell like the CEOs that I mentor, Hey, it's okay for me to hold you accountable because you're afraid to let me down. And I get that. That's good, but that's very guilt driven. Right. And I don't want you letting me down as a reason for you to do something. How can we re- enroll the other people around you to be a part of this? So, hey, can you put yeah. me on an email that goes out to six of your closest friends that you're going to write a weekly update? That's really powerful. Right. So now you're building an ecosystem of support. And now you have like this socializing support, which is everybody. So now if I'm your buddy and I call you, I'm like, hey, uh, Lucas, you want to go to dinner? You're like, of course, we go to dinner. Hey, how's your goal? I'm like, oh crap, right? Like right. now that, that that socializes that, which is pretty cool. And you always know you have the support around it. So um, there's a lot more to coaching transformation where you create an environment for transformations. And then that right. person, your client wants to work with you more because you've given them a structure for results. Amazing. You said one more little thing. And I think there's huge value in it of, um, of does it move me closer to my goal or does it distract me? And I was at this event with the CEO of Thinkific or Teachable, some software platform and him and his team have idea week. So like they all, if they have an idea, they write it down and then they review it at the end of the week. And it's very simple. If this moves us forward, it goes here. Maybe one or two ideas make it to there. And these yeah. hundreds of ideas end up in this idea drawer. Once a year, we can go through it. Maybe an idea will be more relevant. And I always tell people, you know, while someone will be like, do I want to start a podcast or not? Does it move the business forward? Will it attract more attention? If it doesn't, then don't even waste any energy on it. And it's so easy as entrepreneurs, especially when you're just starting and you're trying to figure it all out to be shiny objects everywhere. But I just say, what's the biggest ROI? What's the one thing you can do? And just focus on that, those done and then move on. So I think yeah. there's a huge value bomb you threw in there of a singular focus and also filtering everything through. Does this move us forward or does it not? And if it doesn't scrap it and move on. Yeah. 
Well, I, I'll tell you this, right? I think, um, so there's this, um, my, my friend and mentor was a great guy. His name is Craig Ballantyne. You may know, you may know the name. Uh, super, super great podcast. guy. Oh, just a fantastic guy. And he always, he, you know, when he worked with me, he said, hey, we need some rules. And let's not make this difficult. Set the rule, like you write your own rules. And once you write your own rules, you don't have to write 20 of them. Start, write one. Let's write one today. And if one of your rules is, hey, no matter, like one of my rules was this that I worked on with Craig, no matter what, every single day I wake up at 4.45 in the morning, right? So the best part is you take the choice out of it. There is no, and if you have that, now I automatically have to manage my evenings. I automatically, you know, I'm not going out and partying on a Friday night because Saturday I wake up at 4.45, but your life completely changes on the rules that you establish. And the rule, and I'm not telling you you need to wake up at 4:45. I'm just saying it can be any rule. You can say, "Hey, I work out for at least 30 minutes every day. I meditate at least for 15 minutes a day. Whatever, right? Or mm-hmm. I am all I never curse. Whatever it may be, rules are good because it takes away you. You yeah. pre-choose a good activity so that you don't have to choose it at that point, right? Like I have a friend right now that is going through. Hey, I'm not going to eat any fast food for all of 2018. So the best part is this: he's driving through the same right. route from home to work every day. He sees the same McDonald's, the same Wendy's, the same whatever, but it's the, the choice has already been made, which is really powerful. And I think that's where the filter is really important because we get we struggle with our choices. And that's why we feel like, it, like as coaches, we need to help shape our clients so that they make fewer choices and we predefine the choices they make right. because we know if they have the focus, they're going to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I always ask for them. Yeah. Yeah. I always ask somebody like, how do you, Hey, when you're driving from work to home, like walk me through what's going through your head. And if they're really honest, they'll say, Hey, there's a Starbucks and I always pull in because it's just a ritual. And I'm like, you don't need the coffee. Right. He's like, no, I just pull in because it's on my way. I was like, take another route. Like whatever. Right. 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 Just really fix it. So, um, I, I, for, for, for coaches wanting to create transformations, always look at, uh, Look at choice, not the choices that are already in as part of uh, your client's lives and see if you can just change a choice, predefine the choice, and then they'll just instantly have a better life because that life will rearrange themselves around those choices. So great. I don't know what book this was. Uh, Maybe you know it, but it talked about how much time and energy we spend on making mundane everyday choices from, and I forget what it was. It was like from what to wear to what to eat at night to a simple other decision of, of what to drive or something. And it was something like, it was ridiculous. Like hundreds of hours a year are spent on making choices that are, should just be, you know, they're not even the difficult choices. So then when we get to the difficult choices, we're like so exhausted from these small mundane choices. So just setting the rules or setting the, like defining the, you know, I, I pick, I put my clothes. Actually, I I all have black t-shirts stolen from Zuckerberg, black t-shirts. I don't think about what I have to wear, what I have to drive. Like just simplifying that uh, is something huge that I learned. And I don't know what book that was, but I guess you're, yeah, great. Yeah. Awesome. I'll give you the, I'll give you the one um, performance hack that since we're talking about this, that I believe completely changed my life completely. Like if there was 10 things that changed my life, this is one of those, right? So right before I go to bed, um, the morning time is when your comfortable bed is, <laughs> the, you know, is the, is the choice uh, demon, right? Like, mm-hmm. Choose between everything else in the world and your comfortable bed and your snooze or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So I go, there's got to be a better way. So here's what I do. Uh, right before I turn off the light, I close my eyes. It sounds hokey, but I'll close my eyes. I'll walk you through this in a minute, which actually takes me just 30 seconds. I close my eyes and I watch myself doing 
everything in the morning for the first 20 minutes. So I, I close my eyes. I picture myself waking up. I picture myself turning, getting out of bed and then, then turning off my alarm. I picture myself walking over to my, you know, to, to my dresser, clothes already laid out for working out or whatever. I picture myself changing quickly. I picture which leg I put on, which shorts first. I picture everything in detail, right? Uh, I picture myself walking down the stairs, uh, waking up, doing, a, doing my 5 a.m. call, chugging a glass of water, grabbing my keys and walking out the door, getting in my car and driving to the gym. I picture where I park in the gym and walking in till that I picture just right. all that only happens. It's just it's a 30 seconds. You just picture all of it. So when I wake up in the morning, I have already done it. Great. Right. And so if I want to change a routine, if I want to add like my, my, my doctor said, add a glass of water. I just pictured, I just inserted the water into the routine and now I've already done it once. And uh, a Navy SEAL told me this, which is the greatest analogy I've ever heard. The Navy SEAL told me, he said, Hey, if you're, if you had a blackout, and you had to get from your front door to your back door in your house. And you had a blackout and, the, your, and your house was just dark. Would you be able to do it? And I said, of course, right? Because I walk it every day. He goes, okay, great. What if I put you in my house? What if I put you in a different house and there was a blackout? And I told you, you had to get to, from the front door to the back door. Would you be able to do it? I go, I have no idea. And he goes, that's exactly the point. If you do it once, you've already been there. And your brain knows how to do it. And it reduces all anxiety. It reduces all choice making. So he goes, do whatever it takes to either role play, practice, visual. It, worst case scenario, just visualize it. And I always think about the Navy SEAL analogy, which is no wonder these guys go in and practice, right? So that they know that they can clear the same room. And the next time they go in there, Intel is good because it's the same exact thing. It's, it's like, hey, that wall is, was not supposed to be there. That's a good thing, right? right? As opposed to them trying to like figure it out on the spot. And so anytime I struggle, Lucas, I always think, huh. How do I do this once yeah, so, that I, so I, so that I have a lot more confidence doing it? So if you're a coach and it's the first time you're talking to a client, go in front of the mirror and role play the first five minutes of your call so Great. that when you get on the call, you can enable that call with good confidence. That way, you know, you can deliver what you want to do. So great. That seamlessly transitions us into the sales portion. I just wanted to briefly touch on sales because you've been part of million dollar deals. And there's a funny thing that happens. I see coaches aren't they keep, they get on coaching calls and they're like, they're, you know, I'm like, your program is worth $1,200 or $2,500. Make sure you sell it. Then I listen to the recording or listen and they pitched it at 600 and they still didn't get it. And I'm like, man, but when they make that first high ticket sale and someone pays them and they're like, wow, I'm worthy of that. And the coach gets their client, gets amazing transformation. They have no problem selling it. They're already like, okay, I'm going to increase my price because I know what I'm worth. So it's always that first doing it once. And I feel like there's something we could add. What you just taught us is role play it, see it happen. Because now you've already done it and maybe that'll still a little more confidence. But moving into the sales portion, especially for the, I'm going to say higher ticket, although that's just thrown around like crazy online nowadays. Like everyone wants to be this high ticket closer and high ticket stuff. I call it high value. So high value transformations. Yeah. Like you can't really transform someone for $200 because they're, you know, it, it just won't happen. You can't put the effort into it. So I say it's best for the client to charge more to give them a better experience and to actually get them a lifelong transformation versus you know, their little one week transformation and then they go back to the way they were. So when it comes to that, do you have any, maybe two or three tips, hacks? I know you were involved in a lot of pitching, probably hearing pitches, giving pitches, all this kind of stuff. What do you think stands out to build a relationship very quickly? Make sure that the customer sees the value in what you do and then ask for that close without being weird, awkward and weird. Yeah. Totally. So um, anytime you pitch something, there's a good, I haven't talked about this a lot. There's uh, so I've been in, 
I've been in 248 pitches in the last 24 months. Um, you know, we've won 97.5% of them over a billion dollars in pitches won. Right. So there's a, there's, it's, 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 it's a lot of pitches. Um, you know what and, I, and I say that only because there is, um, there's a formula and the formula is you got to have these four things in place. Number one, um, I'm going to use the word simplicity, but you want to very simply articulate the transformation very, very simply. But here's the quote I'll leave you with. Showcase the complexity, deliver the simplicity. Like hey, that. getting you six-pack abs, can you imagine how hard this is? But I have done this for 1,400 other people, and I can deliver you the same transformation in 86 days. Now, right. I am the simplicity, Right. The, otherwise, the complexity is the six-pack abs, but I am the simplicity. So that's right. number one is simplicity. So if you can't have that simple an offer that showcases transformation, you just need to keep working the offer. That's number one. Number two, um, it has to be sexy. And when I say it has to be sexy, what I mean is uh, different people buy in different modalities. Some people buy auditorily. Some people buy digitally. Some people buy uh, kinesthetically. Some people buy visually. So here's how I generally like to do it. Whenever you're making a pitch, try to touch as many senses as possible. And what I mean by that is, if you're on a Zoom call or a video call, instead of talking about your value, say, hey, um, Lucas, let me show you something. That is, when you say, let me show you something, you're activating their visual modality, right? And you hit share and you bring up a first slide. And the slide that, that, that says, here's a testimonial from Sharon, like what, on something that happened. Two testimonials, essentially you're going through a five-page deck, right? Two testimonials, you're seeding proof. You're showing them the six things that you're going to do in the program. You're showing them some kind of risk and money back guarantee. So instead of just pitching, you pitch both auditorily, visually, and digitally. So like what I also do kinesthetically, I'm like, hey, uh, do me a favor. So I'll go through and right when I'm going through the pitch, I'll be like, hey, do me a favor. Um, uh, you Put your hand on your bicep. Like I'd say, put your hand on your bicep. Mm -hmm. All I'm doing is I am doing a kinesthetic cue where I told him to do something. I was like, I put your hand on your bicep and I'll tell you this what, if we're going to create strength, right? I want you to feel what it feels like right now while you make a conscious choice to do it. Because the next time you're struggling, I want you to hold that because we need to be able to rock ourselves out of tough situations, whatever. I'm just coming up with right. on the spot. But they need to be something auditory, they need to be something visual, and they need to be something kinesthetic, if at all possible. So if you're in a live situation, I generally will, you know, touch their legs or I would, you know, I give them a high five or do a fist bump or something where I can reconnect them in multiple modalities, right? So number one, keep it simple. Number two, make it sexy, right? Uh, number three, the sequence of how you pitch is deeply, deeply important. Uh, a lot of us, uh, sometimes we'll just, we'll wait till the end and then the client will say, oh, they're already, they already have like, you know, discussion fatigue. They're done. And now you're pitching them something. They're like, okay, I either got the value that I wanted. I'm waiting for his pitch or whatever. Right. So if you know you're pitching, tell them up front, Hey, as we go through this, I'm going to show you a way in which you can, it, 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 as a part of my program, how you can unlock this for yourself. But uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes. And then you just... Then you do it again. Oh, it's interesting that you brought that up. I'm going to make a note because when we talk about the transformation program, I'm going to bring that up. You're seeding it constantly, right? So the sequence is deeply important and the sequence should be pre-planned. 
you need to know that, hey, I'm going to do an introduction. I'm going to, I'm going to have the story arc. I'm going to get them to agitate the problem. I'm going to create a micro transformation. I'm going to create another micro transformation. I'm going to talk about somebody else's result. And then I'm going to give them a program in which they can get the result. And then I'm going to do risk reversal. Then I'm going to do scarcity. Hey, I'm only doing this program for this. I'm going to shut it down because I already have 14 people in this program. No one else is going to get that. I only have one spot left. I'm not telling you that because I want you to take it, but I think you'd be the right candidate so that I can give you the transformation that you want, like I've done for others, right? That's directly applicable to either sales pages or webinars or your conversation exactly. with the client. It's all the same stack where you just take the building blocks, build it in a yeah. plank, which is so great. Think about, yeah, think about a conversation of your sales page yeah. done correctly, right. but it has to be sequenced correctly, right? That's right. That's so, right. Cool. so number one, simplicity. Number two, be, make it sexy. Number three, have the sequence. And number four, uh, you cannot sell anything without swagger. You just cannot sell anything without swagger. Okay. You know, uh, Jimmy and Lucas go into a room. Jimmy and Lucas have the same offer. Jimmy and Lucas pitch the same thing. Jimmy and Lucas have the same. Uh, who's going to win? Lucas is going to win just because Lucas has more swagger. That's right. it. We're all attracted to the result-oriented swagger, and there's only one way you get swagger. Only one way. You role play. There is no other way. If you know your material inside out, you will naturally have swagger. There is no other way. Great. You take Take any of the greatest presidents of like any country or prime ministers, Canada, when they, when they go into their, uh, when they go into their pitch and they've done it over and over and over, you will see their, like their body language just switch because they've practiced that. And it's not the teleprompter, right? When they just go into it, like when, when Justin Trudeau talks about uh, uh, cultural diversity, when Obama talks about, you know, rights, when whoever, right? Like mm -hmm. Martin Luther King, when they say, I have a dream, that I have a dream speech was rehearsed. There's no way right. he just made it up. Right. Right. The e when, when I know something is guaranteed, meaning I can practice this and I'm guaranteed swagger. Come on. Like that's right. awesome. Right. So those are really four key elements where showcase the complexity, deliver the simplicity. Number one, uh, make sure it's sexy. That is touching the multiple senses. Number two, uh, make sure it's the right sequence. Number three, and make sure you deliver with swagger. Number four, if we have those four, there's a good chance you're closing much, much higher because when it comes to swagger, you've already rehearsed your pitch. Right. And I tell you for most people, uh, the first time sale, you talked about the first time sale, right? The very easy thing with the first time sale, you say, Hey Lucas, uh, for this kind of transformation, what I work on with my clients, it's a, it's $5,000. I know that may seem like a high amount to you, but since you're a first time client for me, what I'd like to do is I'd like to prove to you that this works in collaboration. So how about this? Um, for the first six months, let's go to 2,500 so I can prove to you that this works. Your fee may just be 2,500. Just double it and show them the discount. Great. Right? That way you're showing them the discount. Now, I as the client feel like oh, you gave me a discount. You got the, the fee that you wanted. And everybody feels like they want. So the first sale, I always say, give them the dramatic discount. But don't give them the discount from your, your price. Give them the discount, like sure. make it feel higher and then give them a discount coming back to your price. Because anytime you give someone a discount, with, if you don't give them a discount without validation, they, don't know, they feel like you're dropping their price. But always give, give them a time-bound discount, but it has to be discounted to your price. Don't take, don't take it in the chin, right? Because otherwise, right. you always keep taking it in the chin. Great. Awesome. And that is moving us into the next thing. So you're talking about rehearsal and working on this and putting the work in and actually, you know, creating a business. And it literally breaks my heart. I used to take it very personally. I don't anymore because you can't help everyone. I, it actually used to keep me up at night being like, how can I help these coaches get a little bit more drive in and more step and more 
just do the work because I'd give them what to do. And I took it as a coach and I think that's good. Like I took feedback. How can I make the process better to keep people more and become a better coach? But at the end of the day, a lot of coaches aren't showing up every day, treating their business like a business. And I know that was true for me for a long time until I hit rock bottom, had no money. And then I said, wait, and I started knocking on doors selling. And that's when I actually started a business. But before then it was a hobby and it took a big failure to be like, wait, I need to wake up and I don't have any more savings, right? This isn't a hobby anymore, but they're not oftentimes people aren't willing to do in the work. So I kind of want to tie things back around to your, I know you have a video on it and I'll post it, but some of the habits that maybe people can instill to, or is that enough or do they need even a stronger sense of why? And like, why are you doing this in the first place? And do you believe in that vision? And like, what are you doing? And oftentimes I have the conversation, are you playing? I see so much potential in you. You're living up to 10% of your potential. I'll, I'll tell the truth. And I feel like 90% of it is wasted. And we're on these calls. You're paying me money and we're wasting our time because you're not doing the work. Sometimes I'll wake them up, get them going, pattern interrupt their stuff. What would you say to all the entrepreneurs? Because the cost of entry is pretty much free. It's so easy to do these days. And it's so easy to put up a service. And then the marketplace is so noisy that it takes 10 times the effort. It probably took 10 years ago to bust through that noise. What would you say maybe someone's struggling with that and instill some habits or some words of advice to coaches who are maybe going through that? Yeah, totally. Right. I tell you, uh, if, if you're a coach consultant and uh, a, a guide looking to make a transformation in the lives of others, uh, it starts with making a transformation in your life first. And there's only one way to do that. Uh, and the, the word around this is there are three words, cadence of accountability, right? You got to be accountable to yourself and the cadence, uh, cadence, hopefully, which is the title of my new book is cadence. You, what you do every day is who you become. And uh, the problem is uh, I want I want to offer this concept called the hour of power. A lot of people talk about the hour of power and I want to offer this as a very structured concept to people. So generally in a sales business, um, people talk about the hour of power as just, you know, prospecting, calling leads, doing business development. That's a very, uh, for, for, that's a very uh, mechanically painful thing. Like for an hour, you're going to call and develop business and call people back. Like that's really hard to do. Right. So, but if you want to, like, I will tell you this, Lucas, if I'm going to give, I'm going to offer a structure for an hour of power. If, if the, the, if you are listening right now and you can put the structure into your life every single day, I'm calling, I'm talking seven days a week, one hour a day, seven days a week. Say you take two days off every, every day that you work one hour a day, five days a week. If you put in one hour a day, five days a week in what I'm going to offer to you as the hour of power, you will double your business in one year, one year. So just one hour a day, right? And here's the hour of power. Most people talk about the hour of power as just prospecting, developing stuff. So I like to uh, divvy up my hour of power into four blocks because we know we can do anything for 15 minutes. Every hour of power, every single day. And I generally do it 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. because that's when like, I, my body hits a lull, my energy hits a lull, and I want to create some movement and momentum in my day. So first 15 minutes. The first 15 minutes, all you're trying to do, uh, if you are in the business of setting up one-on-one -on -one meetings, uh, you either set up coffee meetings where you're pe meeting people live or you set up virtual coffee meetings, one of those two. So the, the script is very simple. Um, it's a text message or an email that says, hey, Lucas, it's been a while since I've seen you. I'd love to catch up. I'm happy to come to a Starbucks near you, right? That's the script. So that's for a live uh, meeting. Or if it's, if it's a virtual meeting, hey, Lucas, it's been a while since I've caught up. Instead of coming to a Starbucks near you, could we just do a coffee hang out for just 15 minutes. Here's my zoom link. That's it. Because now if you do that, I'm thinking, okay, 
there's no way I can say no to that because if I do, I'm a jerk. Because there's only two things that drive uh, sales business. Conversations, appointments, and, and contracts. Perfect. Like appointments and, and contract. There's nothing else, right? The more appointments you have, the more contracts you have. Some random person is not coming through a sales funnel and buying a high ticket item for coaching for you. Like you have to get on an appointment. So the more appointments we have, the more contracts we get. So the first 15 minutes, the entire job is to have as many either virtual coffees or real coffees. And the best part is with the 15 minute coffee or 30 minutes coffee that you're scheduling, you're just catching up. At some point you can say, Hey, Sharon, tell me like the two things that you're working on right now. I do it. I'm going to turn around and ask you, tell me what you're working on. It's like, you know what? I'm really looking for athletes that I can actually take the next level. You give them the pitch, right? And now they become evangelists for you. So the right. first 15 minutes, whatever you do, you may only schedule one appointment. You may schedule eight. Who cares? But the first 15 minutes is scheduling virtual or live coffee appointments, number one. The second 15 minutes is doing mechanical lead follow-up. Leads that came in on your website, leads that came to your webinar, leads that left comments on your podcast. Essentially, anybody that inquired, things that you're working on. It's just setting aside time every day just to respond and make sure you're on top of stuff. Because you know that if somebody emailed you yesterday, at least you have a scheduled block to get back to them today. So that's the second 15 minutes, right? Great. The third 15 minutes... Is, it was really simple is to try to find one new influencer you can connect with, right? That may be getting someone on your podcast. That maybe you found somebody on Instagram. You say, Hey, what you're doing is amazing. I would love to just record you for 15 minutes and maybe on a Facebook live for my audience. Hey, can I, uh, uh, I just bought your book and I love this quote. Can I, you know, can, can you shoot a video for me? Whatever connect with one influencer because that way your circle starts to expand one a day, right? And the last one, this is a funny one, and you'll appreciate this. I call this social love. Social love is going through your Facebook feed or your Instagram feed. And instead of just clicking like or heart, I go and look as I see your picture, and I actually post two to three sentences. Because now if you're seeing that and you're scrolling, you're like, wait, everybody said, cool, awesome, emoji. And Sharon wrote three sentences. You're looking at what I wrote, and you're commenting because you feel obligated to comment. Now, the best part about that, you do that for 15 minutes and you make a note of everybody you did that for. Here's the reason, because next week you're going to come back and for everybody you made a comment on, you're going to ask them for a coffee. You're going to tie it back, right? So you want everything. That is all you do. That's 50, an hour. You do that every single day, five days a week. Your business would instantly double because you're having more conversations. Great. And you will get more contracts because you're becoming a bigger evangelist. I will tell you this. I've seen salespeople where, oh my gosh, I can't do all these sales. I'm like, you don't have to do sales. Do four 15-minute blocks. Do things that you love. And if you notice, the only mechanical sales thing there is there is the 15 minutes of lead follow-up, just following up on something. That's it. Your business will instantly change and you do it in the lowest downtime possible. Schedule that block. Don't move that block 2 to 3 p.m. Don't schedule anything else because that is the lifeblood of your business. Everything else is irrelevant because if you do that every day, you'll start to, you'll, it'll, you'll start to get movement. And getting movement and momentum is really powerful for a salesperson. So powerful. So great. I think uh, I'll just share one little thing and maybe you could shine light on this. Is I started doing that maybe... Four years when I got really serious, I was like, bam, no one is ever not going to get a follow-up and I'm going to follow up 12 times and I'm going to check it off. And I started actually getting more, I guess you could say aggressive in the way that I prospected and the conversation I had because I got desperate. But before that, I was terrified of what people would think. That was a huge fear of mine. I, I didn't like, are people going to think I'm too pushy? Are, I overcame that out of desperation I had to. And now I can, I, I care what people think, but I don't care about, I think we all care about what people think, but I just don't care about the fact that they care, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. um, but I think that's a big resistance for a lot of coaches because they're getting into business and now all of a sudden they're getting in this position where they have to 
more people will know about them and the fear of like, you know, sometimes I'll have an ad that reaches a hundred thousand people and I'll have 10 or 15 comments, scammer, idiot, get off my Facebook. And like, I had to overcome that. And I just, it doesn't bother me anymore. But at first when more people started knowing about me, it hurt. Like if there was an email and just like, you're a scammer and an idiot and like, get off my Facebook feed. Can you please delete me off your ad or whatever email list, whatever. It was difficult at first. Do you think that's a very real problem that people go through when they're first are going to be like, I'm going to talk to way more people. I'm going to start growing and all these people are going to know about me. That would be a pretty real fear that people have to get through. Totally. Uh, I think the, the uh, great point, right? I think the way to do that. So, so let me give you a different analogy. Um, let's pick an amazing author, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, great author. I love him. I, and by the way, he's actually a great presenter too. Uh, if you've never seen him, he's got a bunch of cool videos out there. TEDx talk, TED talk, um, go to Malcolm Gladwell's book profile and on Amazon. Malcolm Gladwell has yeah. hundreds of negative comments. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like if Malcolm Gladwell has hundreds of negative right. comments, it's okay for you to get a, you know, a spammer or a bot. And here's what I do. It just, it, 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 you can do, choose to do one of two things. If you're the kind of person that has the ability to compartmentalize and ignore, great. Let's just, but let's be honest that that's what you're doing. If you don't have the ability to compartmentalize and ignore, you need to respond. And here's the response. Thank you. Great. That's it. There is no in between, right? If it's bothering you, go reply and say thank you. If it's not bothering you, let it go. But you cannot have, like, it's very hard to be in between because that will just eat you up, right? Yeah. We just need to either respond right. or let it go. And whoever the person, like, I am the kind of person, depending on the opportunity, I'm a thank you or let it go. Like, if it's on my personal, private Facebook, personal page, I, because my friends look at that stuff, I know I'll get support. So if someone does a skit, right. I hate this, I'll say thank you, then my right. whole tribe will kind of support me. Right. But if it's on some random page, yeah. I'm like, I don't care, right? I, do, right. I just don't no, care. with your effort. Yeah. I ask everybody, this is a difficult question, one of the, and you've done so much, so I know this is going to take all the time you need to think about this, but someone who's, if you could talk to your 22, 23, 24-year-old self who's like, I want to do something, I kind of have an idea, but... I don't know. I think it's a very real thing when you're that age, like facing anxiety and not really knowing the direction to go and all these things going through your head. One little golden nugget that you wish you could have instilled or just give to people as a little bit of a gift. What would that one thing be? Yeah, I don't even have to think about it. I'll tell you the only, if I could go back, forget, you know, to my 20, early 20s, if I could go back a year, two years, right? Um, and I know this stuff is, and I think this is super prevalent to your audience. I would hire, I would have hired coaches and mentors sooner. Um, and, and not like, this is a mistake that I made. I would email people like I, I would see Lucas speak on stage and I'm like, Oh my gosh, it was, he was great. And I would write an email saying, Hey, do you mind if I buy you lunch and pick your brain? That is the worst thing. Yeah, there is absolutely. no accountability. There's no response. There's nothing. Like someone writes me an email saying, I want to pick your brain. I don't even dignify it with a response. I yeah. do not want to do it. Right. But if, so, if, if someone says, Hey, Sharon, I read your blog. I read your book. I read this video. I read this. I have these three questions. Um, would you like, you know, could you either do a podcast on it the next, next time when you do your next video, could you talk about it? Or when is your next event? Or can you just, uh, can you give me the three word answer? Can you give me another resource so I can pick and choose? That's better. But every, every like insane shift and in transformation that has happened in my life, like when the trajectory of my life has changed has always been because 
of a paid mentor or coach that has lifted me and put me on a, on a steeper curve path. And I, I call them uh, today, I call them sniper mentors. So I am hiring Lucas to help me get a bigger right bicep. That's all I care about, right? Great. I want that specific result because now you, Lucas, are committed to giving me that result. I am committed to getting that result. I'm focused on that result. And you know when you have failed, I know when I have failed, right? So I'm just like, whatever it takes to, to really get a very tight result, I'm gonna, I, I wanna go after that. So it, the, the fastest way if we can get transformation is even coaches and mentors like you and I, we need to have coaches and mentors that continuously level us up. Like when I talked to my coach, like I had a call with my coach last night, she's in Australia and she did, like I took three, four pages of notes I can, I need like 30, I need half a day to process them, but I could take a lot of those learnings and I can install it in the CEOs that I mentor because yeah. I, 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 they can't hear her, but they can yeah. hear her through me. Right. And that's, and we should do that. That's not a bad thing. I'm investing in my growth and mm -hmm. they're investing in theirs and it's just the circle of life. So um, the fastest way to get a transformation, I believe is, you know, to get a paid coach or mentor. Great. You pay, you pay attention to what you, what you pay to. Uh, I used to give buddies free coaching and now I'm just like, we'll donate to charity. You're paying. I don't need any of it. We'll give it to charity. If it's a really close friend or a family member, like you're going to pay because I know you'll get 10 times better results. Um, and on the flip side, I had a passing thought and I was like, this needs to be shared. I need to ask you, but now it's slipping in my brain. Maybe it'll come back. Sharan, if people want to find you or learn a little bit more about you, where would they go? I'll put all the links below, but where's the best yeah. place to find you? Yeah, so the, the, the best place to find me um, is Sharon.com, S-H-A-R-R-A-N.com. But what I'd love for everybody to do is, um, you know, I do, I, I write this personally. I write a daily email uh, that goes out five days a week. And it's, the idea is you wake up in the morning and you have something inspirational. Uh, it's called the Daily Mojo. Uh, so it's freedailymojo.com, freedailymojo.com. Freedailymojo.com. Uh, yeah, and it's just, it's just a short email. It's one iPhone screen. So you can read something and it gets in your inbox first thing in the morning. And it's just my way of saying thank you to the world. I write, I write all of those personally. I write it every single day. And it's a chance to just say, hey, uh, it's a chance to stay in touch. It's a chance to do that. You can you know, unsubscribe if you want to. But it's something that you get in your inbox every day that you're guaranteed that you can read very quickly. That sets a good, good stage. And that's the gateway to everything that I do. That's so crazy. Where was that shift that went from, you don't need any more money. You don't need to be doing this. That shift to like, wait, I really want to give back. Like, does that, when did that happen where you were like, I would just love to give back. Cause I seen you, I think I seen you at the, um, at the Craig Ballantyne event, maybe a year ago, year yeah. and a half ago at yeah. maybe uh, one of his uh, daily light or the uh, perfect life retreats. Yep. And yep. You spoke on stage, but I think maybe you were just starting a relationship with them. And I feel like maybe you were just kind of starting your, giving back with stuff like you were just creating that stuff. But what, what just, as we finish here, what made that shift into wanting to give stuff away when you could be doing million dollar deals somewhere else instead of being on a podcast or doing a 5 a.m. email? <laughs> no, no, no I, I'm grateful. So here's the interesting part, right? Um, what I've realized is that at some point we all reach, and I'm going to, I'm going to say this with a lot of humility. We all reach a level of uh, personal mastery in our own way. Say you feel good about, where you are, you've grown to that point. And the only way for me to grow more is if I can give more. And, and, and so, yeah, I can go read more books, but what am I doing with that? But if I have to take those books and condense them and write a, a, a short email every day for th tens of thousands of my subscribers, 
I have to grow. I have to be a better person to do that. So it's, it's, I call this 99% selfless, 1% selfish. I am super selfish because the more people I can serve, the better I become. Like my ability to uh, communicate gets better. My ability to give more gets better. My ability to process thoughts get better. My ability to read more gets better. My ability to touch more people gets better. And let's also face it. When I get, when I send an email out and an e-blast goes out in the morning and I get like 600 responses back saying that was amazing. Like that makes me want yeah. to do more. That makes me, it's, it's, it's amazing for my significance. It, it, I'm, it's not about my ego. It feels like, Oh my gosh, it's not my bank account. That's talking like real people yeah. are talking to me and it's amazing. And I'm not even selling anything. And so at some point, the next level of success, not success, the next level of growth is contribution. And there is no growth that can, that can measure up to contribution. There is nothing. You cannot, the joy of contribution is the greatest, is the greatest growth that you can ever have. And once oh. you sense it, oh my goodness, it gets, it gets super fun, which, which is the reason you're doing the podcast. Like you love it. It's addictive. It. It's addictive. Yeah. Yeah, it is addictive. Yeah. Call it some kind of imbalance, something. I like. I feed off that. I feed off getting people results and getting those emails. Like that's what motivates me. The bank account is nice. That's nicer. Um, yeah. Sharan, thank you so much. I'm going to put all those links for your daily mojo email, for your website, for your social media below. If anyone wants to check, and I highly recommend you follow this guy. I came across you again from that event, and then through the Craig Valentine stuff. I think you did a write up on his blog, and then I started following. And every few days, I go on your story. And I'm like, there is some tidbit. I usually snapshot it and throw it on my story. There's something that you give that I'm just like, wow, that's like so relevant. And I apply it and it changes me. So you've helped me in more ways than you know in the last year. And I appreciate you taking the hour to be on the podcast. Thank you, Lucas. Hey, listen, again, I'll tell you this. A lot of people have no idea uh, how hard this is to do, how much time this takes. So kudos to you. And thank, well, not only thank you for having me on, but thank you for the commitment to having the podcast and, and sharing this because I know there's a lot that goes into it and the commitment is amazing. Thank you for what you do. Thank you so much. All right. So as always, I just want to finish off the episode with saying thank you for listening. These episodes are 100% free and they're dedicated to helping you build your coaching business because there are clients out there just waiting for you to reach them. They're waiting for you to give them a result. So do not give up on your dream and never give up on your business. Again, these episodes are 100% free. All I ask in return is that you give it a thumbs up, you give it a like, you give it a little bit of love in the comments or the reviews, and you share it with one or two coaches who you know could use help building their coaching businesses. That's it. I'm done. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.